HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 12, 2017. This is the 138th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are top business and hospitality executives at a major construction management firm, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to under-promise and over-deliver. Be humble about your services and deliverables. Of course, that does not mean to undermine your capabilities, but simply do not oversell yourself. Be mindful when making guarantees with what you can and cannot do. By downplaying a bit, You will be sure to impress your clients or customers when you exceed all expectations. So be modest, work hard, and overachieve. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guests here in the studio. They are both from Shamit Design and Construction, a national construction management company. My first guest is Larry Campagna, Shamit's Director of Business Development, Larry has over 15 years of experience with previous roles, including Vice President of Business Development at Invest Hospitality, General Manager for multiple restaurants at Be Our Guest Hospitality, and General Manager in Food and Beverage at MGM Grand Las Vegas. My second guest is John Tobin, Director of Hospitality at Shamit. John has been a key member of its leadership team since 2008, having cultivated and maintained relationships with some of the company's most prestigious clients, including Liberty Den and the New York Palace Hotel. So welcome, Larry and John. Hello. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming out here to Bushwick. It's great to be here. So I, I like starting out with my guests and finding out how you got into the industry. So how did you get into construction and how did you get into hospitality? Well, it's uh, easier for me to say how I got into hospitality. I've been managing restaurants uh, for my whole career. I still consider myself in the hospitality business, even though I, I work for a construction company. That's uh, we're we're a hospitality construction company, so so right. it's not so it's not so far. But um, yeah, I, my first restaurant was working for my for my dad and on the west side of Cleveland. So ever since that, I've uh, a lot of people fall into this industry, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and I'm no exception. So I started working for him. Right out of college, and uh, I just kept kept. I, I love the hospitality industry. I love the energy of it, and I love the people that are in it. So, 
I just kept doing it, and um, and, uh, and then I started with Shamit two years ago. This is, an ex- this is a new side of the of the hospitality industry for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't I wasn't familiar with Invest Hospitality. They are a boutique investment firm uh, founded recently, based um, based here in New York. And okay. uh, the big client that they will be bringing to New York, and actually Sean that will be building the project, is L'Atelier de Jean-Aubert will be here oh. in uh, the meatpacking uh, district soon. So uh, Right. He's, he's, is that taking over um, Tom Colicchio's that's right. space? Okay. That's right. Um, that's that's going to be an exciting exciting restaurant. So I worked there for a while and then, um, you know, actually I'm on both sides of that project. So, uh, I'll, be, cool. I'll be very excited when that opens. Yeah, that's, that's great. And what about you, John? Um, it's a unique combination of things that occurred through my life that put me here. First job was riding my bike to the Sanford barn in Hamden, Connecticut to be a dishwasher. So somewhere along there, I caught the restaurant bug, but then mm-hmm. I, um, one of my older brothers was a house builder on Cape Cod. I always ask people, how did you get tricked into construction? And I got tricked in because I thought it'd be cool to frame houses on Cape Cod as a teenager. And I was a professional carpenter um, through high school, college, and after college for seven years, wearing the tools, building houses on Cape Cod. I did go to school for business management. Somewhere along the lines, I combined those two skills and um, got into construction management. So I'm a little bit the guy who worked his way up from the mailroom because I was in the field, then I was a superintendent. I started building restaurants in 1994 for a small general contractor in Boston that specialized in restaurants. Built about 300 restaurants in Boston as a superintendent and then a project manager. Um, So I was there 15, 16 years, and then I came to Shawmut almost 10 years ago. So I was lucky enough to start building restaurants all over the country for Shawmut. And uh, that was a new, fun experience for me that moved me into a project executive role. And then sort of one hotel lobby and restaurant turned into another. Till then, we started to sort of specialize in some hotel work, and I opened up our hotel division. So in the last year, now I've moved to New York, taken over our New York office for hospitality, and I'm now overseeing both restaurant and hotel for the New York market. So it's been... uh, It's been a fun ride. I, it's impressive. I genuinely love what I do. So it's, uh, I love coming to work and doing the work we do and working with the projects and the clients we do. It's uh, never boring, is what I always tell people. So so let's talk a little about the, your company, Shamit. How, I mean, it seems from all the projects that you are working on that you're ginormous. <laughs> I mean, how many employees and, and how long is it? Has uh, the firm been around? Um, um, the, f- the firm is uh, 34 years old. Uh, we have 1,200 employees with nine offices around the country. Okay. Um, so, you know, having competed against Shawmut for a long time, I had a very different perception of Shawmut before I came to work here. I thought of Shawmut as a big, somewhat impersonal company because I was always a little intimidated by Shawmut. Coming into the company, you know, it starts with the fact that we're an employee-owned company. Um, so all the people that work in the company are owners, and that really dictates our behavior uh, to our clients, to each other, um, to the places we work and live in terms of giving back to those areas. And uh, it's a very philanthropic company. So then it breaks down into our groups. We have three major groups of academic and institutional, which typically works out of our regional offices. With, you know, Boston is headquarters, but New York, Providence, New Haven, Oh, Boston is headquarters. Boston is headquarters. Oh, okay. That's where we were founded. That's where the Shawmut name comes from, the Indian tribe. Which I got Shawmut. now, Shawmut. Yeah, you got it now. <laughs> um, and then we have Miami, Chicago, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles as well. So we'll do institutional work regionally from that office. And then our other two major groups are hospitality and retail, which we go where our clients need us to go. So be it the apples and burberries of the retail world, we'll go where they need us to go. And the Cheesecake Factories, P.F. Chang's, Del Frisco's, Celebrity Chef clients will go where they need us to go. So it's a, it's a unique combination. Your typical, we, were, we did about $1.4 billion worth of sales last year, and your typical billion-dollar construction company does about 60 or 70 projects a year, and we average somewhere between six and 700 a year. So it's a very different model for a large-scale construction company. So we do sort of face that fear of being too big for people, and then we try to boil it down and tell them, like, in hospitality, we're a 75-person small company that specializes in restaurant construction, which is unique, and we bring that 
expertise to those jobs, but we have this big machine behind us to get, get great subcontractor purchasing and expertise. You know, do you need a special glass? We've probably done it. Do you need a special, you know, historic preservation on a building? We've probably done that somewhere. So it's it's really nice to have that big machine behind you, but it's a personal touch in terms of your project team. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, having met Larry at some events and, and seeing, I mean, I, it it didn't, it came across for me that, I mean, we, I feel we developed this personal relationship meeting, right. networking at events, and then looking at the company and seeing how large it is, and I guess you could say more corporate, I didn't get that sense at all. So I think what you're achieving um, or you are achieving what, what you're That's trying nice to do. Yeah. So, um, thank you. But, um, Larry was out D and some B as we say, right? Developing yeah. Well, some well there's, a, or, or I always say as a, a PR person or what I do, I'm a professional schmoozer yeah. and go to a lot of events and there's, there's the networking and component. And so, so, so Larry, let's talk a little, like what, what is your role and, and are you, are you bringing in new business just in the hospitality division? Um, you better be. And is it, that that's is your division yeah. and do you have a team? Or are you working solo or um, solo? I'm definitely not working okay. solo. Um, <laughs> there, we, we also have um, three other business development directors across the nation. One focuses just on sports arenas, which is in our hospitality division. That's but it's, like a it's, dream it's a very, job to someone, Yeah, right? to someone, to this person, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he loves sports and, um, and and has a long career in sports, and that's what he's focused on. Although what we do build in sports arenas really is restaurants and lobbies. The same, that's why it's in the hospitality division. We have someone that's focused on the West Coast, and we have someone that's focused, focused nationwide. Um, but uh, I'm, I am focused primarily on hospitality in New York. Um, I, I love New York. I love restaurants in general, but New York um, is... It's, yeah, it's another dream like job. Other. It's a city like none other, and uh, and this is where and this is where a lot of terrific restaurants are, and and a lot of where uh, and where a lot of terrific restaurants want to be. So, it it is a dream job. Um, yeah, and that is what I'm focused on. I'm focused on restaurants and hotels in in New York City, and there's just so many. Okay. I, I mean, you when you can read all day and not be able to keep up with j- just the new ones. Uh, so or try to eat out all the time, like yeah, I do, like and do. not keep up <laughs> with do. all the you new ones. You can't. You can't do it. No, it's impossible. but you can try, and it's fun to try. Yes, I do try. <laughs> so, so with with business development, what you're working on, I know you have you have different divisions. You have you do fine dining, you do casual dining, you have hotels, entertainment. Is there one area that you're focusing more on? Is it across the board, or and also like what's something more trendy now are there more fine dining projects or or less um i think they're the same number of fine dining projects i i, I don't I, I read the articles that say oh there aren't as many fine dining mm-hmm. projects i just don't think we're calling them fine dining projects as as much just because something doesn't have a tablecloth does not mean it's not fine dining right so it is a major focus of ours fun, you know upscale mm-hmm. dining fine dining whatever you want to call it Big restaurants that are you know with with great food is is what is what we build. We build we build things that um, we build things that are great. So I mean I, I would put I would say a cheesecake factory is great. I would say a Shake Shack is great. I would say Laverne Den is great at, at what they're trying to do, and uh, and and those those are the types of clients that we're that we're looking for people that um, people are doing exciting projects. So what am I looking for? I'm looking yeah I'm looking down the road for what's next and. Um, um, something I say a lot is if I'm reading about it, it's probably too late to be involved. So a major focus of mine is just to help people in the hospitality industry connect with each other and find what project you know they're looking for and find a designer, find a broker, find a whatever it is that's going to make their project successful. E- even if it's not something, an opportunity for us, it's going to, you know, if it helps the hospitality industry, it keeps things going, keeps things moving forward, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and also I well, I was thinking when you, about how hotel restaurants have become. I don't know if that's the, or more of a trend, but there was a story recently on that how there 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 are a lot more restaurants going into hotels. Are you? I mean, I know you were working. You were part. Well, you're still part of the hotel division, but you were focused a little more on hotels yeah. before. I mean, this is my second round of seeing the idea of celebrity chefs going into hotels. I mean, there was an earlier wave in the. 
uh, late 90s, early 2000s, where, you know, I was in Boston and Todd English went into Lydia Shire and Jasper White. You know, those were really the people that got me started in the celebrity chef mode. And that kind of came and left, and it was all conversation. Do you have to have a private entrance? Should you have a private entrance? Should you not? Should mm-hmm. be? And then, you know, it's like open kitchens. There was a fade. They came. They left. They're back. Um, but the new wave of hotel restaurants is a different wave because what's happening in the hotel industry is there's only it's like a martini there's only so much you can charge for a martini and then people aren't going to buy any more martinis there's a lot of pressure on the room sales in new york because there's been so much hotels construction so then you know you bring in airbnb you bring in you know hotel tonight hotels.com there's a lot of pressure on room rates so these people have escalating costs like everybody else in every other industry and they can only charge so much for the room so you got to find another place for people to spend their money in on property. So there's been an awakening by the hotel industry that the F&B program is an opportunity because, you know, we're involved with the diplomat down in Florida right now, and it's a great example of this. They have a thousand rooms, they have a thousand conventioners a week. Everyone would come down into the lobby and get an Uber and go somewhere. So Wine Hospitality was the creator of this new project there. And we brought in, you know, David Schulson uh, or Michael Schulson out of Philadelphia and Jeffrey Zakarian from here in New York Mm -hmm. put together a great new program of steakhouse, casual dining, uh, Jeffrey's concept, uh, Point Royal, um, Monkey Tail with Schulson, indoor bar, outdoor bar, and suddenly, you know, those people are no longer leaving property. Um, And we're seeing it, you know, the big men, you know, you could list, we all know, a hundred examples of it here in New York that instead of having people come down and leave the property, they're actually getting in their Ubers and coming to the property. So it's a way for the properties to sort of increase their F&B sales and create a scene. The other thing is, you know, the millennials don't want to sit in their room and get room service and... You know, drink from the mini bar. Right, so, it adds value to the hotel rooms. Yeah, just the way a, a great restaurant at the bottom of an, an apartment or an office building adds value to all of those. Same thing with a, a hotel. It becomes a destination because of the F&B right. program. You know, the yeah. Ace sort of started yeah, a lot of this, definitely. and you know, other people have jumped on. You know, we're working with Soho, and you're seeing people like Soho House that we're working with in LA and New York kind of take that and really tweak the concept and. Gansevoort was a way ahead of their curve in terms of, you know, the standard. I mean, there, there's great examples here. New York has really, in my opinion, at least in the States, I know there's European examples, but New York has created this boutique hotel with the coolest F&B programs in the lobby that now is rolling out across the country. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was at I was at um, the Best New Chefs event the other night, and I, I was talking to Jennifer Baum, who I think is working with The Diplomat, and she was... Is it, it's in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah, it's in Hollywood. yeah, she was telling me about it. How it's, it's, a great it's amazing and just open and and she go. And then another thought I had with the Ace. Uh, I was recently in Iceland and and in Reykjavik. There's this cool hostel called um, the Kex Hostel, and I just went there like to do some work. And they're known for being like the cool spot to get mm-hmm. a burger and hang out. And and so I think and people compare it to the Ace Hotel. So that influence, I think. It's everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's bled, yeah, it's bled to all markets now. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're, you're seeing that trend in places like you know Winchburg, Tennessee, or Cincinnati, Ohio. Then you know you've kind of reached that tipping point in terms of it being what's happening across the market. Right. Yeah, and it makes sense. It does. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back and talk more with Larry and John. So stay with us. This is on in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? 
The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Larry Campagna, Director of Business Development, and John Tobin, Director of Hospitality at Shamit Design and Construction, a national construction management company based in Boston, even though they have offices everywhere. <laughs> uh, so I want to, construction, I feel, is something I, I don't know anything about. Like, I know these, I know restaurants, I know hospitality, but what's what's the process like from from when you're seeking the new business to when you're finally, you know, throwing the party and opening the doors. I mean, how many people are involved? Like, how how does it work? Good question. Loaded question. (laughs) Um, There's many different paths to get to, you know, what we call opening night. Um, There's the prescribed path, and then there's kind of the road of broken dreams. Um, We feel like we've created a, 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 a recipe that works, which is, you know, people, and we know it, you know, general contractors have a stigma about them, and it's something we as, you know, people that work in the industry have to overcome. Our way of overcoming it is sort of, A, I always tell people when we talk about working, the best thing you can do is talk to people that we've worked with and ask them what was the process like. Because it, for us, it's about the ride. We talk about the Schwammer ride. At the end of it, you're like, wow, that was intense and that was fun, but I want to do it again. So there's a lot of different ways to get there. You know, the the model for us is to pick a team and pick them early. Get your designer, get your architect, have your owner, have your general contractor, and the team approach is really the best way. Many people don't prescribe to that, and we've seen different times in the market where it was all negotiated work, where we're on the team early, to people wanting to really feel like they're going to drain every nickel out of the job and hard bid things, you know. We're not big on the hard bid things. We do it a lot because it's part of our industry and you can't win work without it being part of it, but it's not what I would call a prescription for success. The two dynamics are if you're on the team early and you're sitting on the same side of the table, then everything we're talking about is we. It's our project. It's our issue. It's our opportunity to solve a problem. If you're sitting across the table from each other, it's your. And that it's your issue. It's your mm-hmm. vendor. It's your. And we're not big on that dynamic. We're... It's a healthier project. It's a healthier relationship. It's a longer term. You know, we look for the long term relationships. Legal Seafood's a perfect example of this. We've been working with them like 30 years. Um, you have some skin in the game then. There's a relationship. You know, you come to me and be like, John, we talked about this, you know, and then we have some skin in the game because we're your partner. And uh, that to us is a healthier way. And, you know, there's been different times in the history of um, 25 years of building restaurants where that's more prevalent or it's less prevalent. Um, it's not for no reason. Uh, 25 years ago, there were a lot of chain restaurants. When you're building your 500th Applebee's, that's you know mm-hmm. exactly the same as the 499 before it. You have a set of drawings. You know who's going to build this thing, and you go and build it. When you're building a restaurant in New York, for example, there there is no just like the last one. I mean, every location's different. Every footprint's different. You, the people on top of you and bottom of you on both sides of you are different. So the draw, um, the drawings are one of a kind, and the project's one of a kind. So it, you you need to work w- with the GC, and the GC needs to work with you. So I mean, it's it's a it's a new relationship. It's not a it's not a you know it's not a check the box. It's interesting that the last person typically brought into the project team is you know the publicist. Uh, <laughs> maybe not it's not what way. you were going to say? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> Who's well, that? I mean, it's quite often that you have, you know, the real estate agent and the architect and the owner, and then they figure out this whole thing about what they're going to build, but the last person they bring in is the builder. 
um, which is okay. unique yeah. within you know this industry mm-hmm. compared to other industries. It's like you know we're all going to figure out how to do an operation, and then we'll let the doctor know. You know whoever's the cheapest, we're going to hire them to do the operation. Right. It's a lot smarter to bring the expert in early and say, "Hey, yeah. what are your thoughts on how we ought to do this thing that you do all day every day?" Um, yeah. So we try to prescribe to that method. Some people prescribe to it and. Things usually go better, and other people don't. And hopefully, we bring our expertise and sort of change their way of seeing that relationship through the process. But I'm going to start telling people to bring a publicist earlier, <laughs> as well. If they, or at least remind them that they should get one okay. before they open. Before they open, because as I always tell people, do PR before We've you. Really got to get some PR yeah. going. Well, when's your opening? Last week. <laughs> or, or no, I get I get the call like when are you opening like Thursday, and it's like Monday. I'm like okay. Great. Let's get going. No. Um, yeah. But uh, when I was looking at your website and I'm looking at all the, I mean, you, you the, the list of, of, of projects you've worked on is incredible. I mean, a few I jotted down. You had Del Fresco's. You said you had the P.F. Chang's, the modern Shake Shack in Brooklyn and some others. And then there was La Serena, River Park, Waldor, Waldorf Astoria. I mean, the word that came to mind was grand. Like, even even the Shake Shack I know of in Brooklyn, to me, that one feels a little more grand. Like, there's something just dynamic and impressive about it. Is that is that a word you hear around... Your, your offices, or, or is it a, a, am I just, is it, a, well, I don't know. again, we're a little bit sensitive to chef owners being intimidated by the projects that we work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, to start out, let me say we're very fortunate to work with a lot of exceptional people. Um, and we think that the fact that they repeatedly hire us should sort of be a telltale sign that the experience has gone well. Absolutely. But we also like to be very focused on the fact that, hey, we're not insensitive to the fact that, you know, I grew up doing mom-and-pop restaurants in Boston. You know, I worked with Todd English when it was Todd, Olivia, and us sitting at a kitchen table. And it's important we don't forget that, that, you know, every restaurateur was a line chef, was a sous chef, and this is their life. You know, this isn't a corporate thing. This is... um, Somebody's borrowed money from their uncle and all their friends from college, and they're trying to do this. So I think bring that sensitivity to every project, whether it's a $500,000 you know, job or a $5 million job, is what we sort of pride ourselves on, that there's no project that's more important than the other. Sure, the PR piece of it goes to the big, the fancy, and we're really fortunate to work on those. But understanding that while you're opening a restaurant that that person that you're helping move the dish machine and is probably your future client and how you treat them is going to decide whether they want to work with you in the future is really important part of our culture that's yes makes sense and that's good it's real i mean we're you know we're a company where you know our ceo was a project manager he came from being a builder in the field and that that culture piece to us that there's nobody above any job. We're not a hierarchical company. It's like everybody, you know, Larry washed dishes and so did I, you know. So every project yeah, comes you come the from moment. The background. Yeah, the moment comes mm-hmm. on the job where we got to get going here and we got to roll up our sleeves and we might go home with dirty hands, but that's what's going to that's what restaurant construction is. Right. You know, it's all hands on deck. It's like Saturday night and dinner and the gas goes out. You, you know, you got to be able to figure out how we're going to serve dinner tonight. It's the same. The comparison between building restaurants and, and operating restaurants is, is amazing. It's just, it's yeah. so, it's so similar. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you don't know, you don't know what you're going to get it into during restaurant construction or restaurant operations. Mm-hmm. You have all the plans in the world and the plans are important. If you don't plan, that's bad. But, but yeah, you need there is a joke, you know, that everybody's got a you know, it's a Mike Tyson, unfortunately, his quote, but it's very apropos. Is <laughs> everybody's got a plan though they get punched in the mouth, and you know, restaurant running and construction kind of have yeah. that. You think you know how the night's going to go, and then boom, in a heartbeat, things change. Yeah, you know, we were talking in preparation for this about I think one of your questions you said you may talk to us about was what makes people that are good at this versus. You know, we do at Shawmut, you know, do a little fun sort of personality test when people are going to come to work here. And I look for the people that react well to change. You know, there's there's people that are very good at sort of planning something for two years and then having a year to sort of figure it out and another year, two years to build. We do academic work. Those people do really well in that world. 
I would lose my mind doing that. You know, hospitality construction is like, you think you're going to come to work and do A, B, and C, and you walk in the door, and it's like, okay, you know, we didn't get the permit, or somebody put a crane in the street, or whatever. You show up and say, we want to put the restaurant on top of the, you know, on top of the roof instead of in the bin. Right. You have to be able to instantaneously be like, okay, this is what we're doing, and switch gears and adapt to that. I love that, and I do well in that. I do much better in that environment than the other. But it's important you surround yourself with people that react well to that because when I become intimate with my clients, I'll say, and they're apologetically saying, I'm sorry, we want to change the kitchen to the other side of the building. You know, I'll jokingly say, it's fine. If you were normal, you wouldn't need us. <laughs> and you wouldn't want to do this incredible space, you know. And yeah. So everybody's good at different things. You have to learn how to sort of, that's the game we're playing. If yeah, you're frustrated by know. that, don't. Go do Don't something hurt. else, you know? <laughs> not for everyone. Yeah. Not for the faint of heart is what we say. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you my question I had from my last guest. I had on Missy Robbins from Lilia in Williamsburg. This was episode 137. And Missy wants to know, what is the primary thing you look for in real estate when you're looking for a restaurant space? Well, I'll tell you, uh, one, one thing we look for in locations in New York is whether or not it was an existing restaurant because if there's a grease trap and there's exhaust and there's the infrastructure for a restaurant it it, it can make a real impact on the cost of, of building the restaurant if, if if you're putting a restaurant in a place that used to be an office or used to be a dry dry space or, or anything but a restaurant um it's going to be more. It's going to be more expensive. So that's the first. That's the first. Or, or, or can you even do it? I mean, there, there, there's a chance in New York. I mean, there's a chance there is no room for exhaust, and then you know you go in the space, and this isn't going to be a restaurant. About, that's one. About sixty-five percent of your budget is spent on things that you don't see, mm-hmm. meaning all the things kind of behind the scenes. So, to Larry's point, if you have to spend exorbitant amounts of money on those things, you know, about thirty-five percent is what is left for the fun stuff. So the more you can eliminate on that back end of gas lines and water lines and grease traps and grease ducts, then it leaves you more to create a more public-facing, spectacular space. Right. And Missy, Missy noted that that you guys had worked with, I worked that with her Summit. In, yeah, I worked right. with her at Avoce. At the, I mean, at, at Avoce, sorry. She was great. Yeah, yeah. she's great. I, was, I loved seeing her name on your sheet there. Oh, she's awesome. And I love, in her space, I, I was, uh, Lilia is, is really yeah, fabulous. I mean, it's it's a nice space. So, um, she's done well. But yeah, Avoche, uh, nothing's in that space right now. Not yet. Yeah, but it was Stay a restaurant. Tuned. It was a restaurant. So someone. <laughs> it was a restaurant. It. We have the drawings. So call Shalmet. Okay. I'm, I I live right near there, so I'm I'm anticipating what's what's going to go in. We'll see. Yeah, we will. Okay, so we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back and play my speedrun game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. We are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Larry Campagna and John Tobin of Shamit. And we are about to play my speed round game. Uh-oh. Are you ready? I hope so. I'm going to name a couple of things. It's 
either or preference. Why is she looking at me, Larry? I, <laughs> I don't. You better have the answers. This is going to be fun. I like playing with two people so to see their differences or similarities. So, um, yeah, you just pick pick whatever comes to mind. So we'll try and do it speed roundish speed. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Out. Definitely. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Beer. Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting. Tasting. Small plates or large plates? Small. Small. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Ooh, chef's counter. Guys, similar. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Mm, I won't do it. (laughs) 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 I like them both. I won't do Um, it. I... I, (laughs) I'm okay with the all-in. I liked it in Europe. I love that Danny Meyer's doing it. It's. I think it's great. I think. Uh, I think it works. I, it's so hard to pick one because I think it works for for some restaurants and it really lends itself well to certain restaurants. Yeah. I think, and I think it's great. I think it's a great trend. If I have to choose, right I'll now. go all-in instead of tipping. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, side note: Steve Cuso wrote an article today in the New York Post about how. Besides Danny Meyer, no one's really getting the mm-hmm. tipping. Is it's you know people are sticking with the tipping, um, so we'll see. I he really, I really respect the group for doing it. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, but I've, like Danny's, you know, you know, it's a big group, able to to make it work. But yeah, um, and his yeah. his reasoning behind it reflects his philosophy around his staff. So mm-hmm. I think it works for his staff and his corporation. And if it works for other people, great. I respect that. If it doesn't, I respect that. Yeah. It's got to be. What works for them? Well said. Okay, let's do a few more. Closing a deal on fine dining or casual dining? Fine dining. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Politically correct over there. No, I want both. Oh, you want both? Okay, (laughs) both. Got it. (laughs) Well, you're probably going to both this too. I have working with single unit operations or larger corporate brands. You know, I'm a little chains. partial to single unit, but, mm-hmm. you know, every single unit has dreams of more. Um, you know, there's a tipping point. Mm-hmm. You know, we compare them to children, you know. Um, there becomes a point you need help. So someone can have two restaurants or three restaurants and still kind of have their hand on everything, including construction. And then you get to a point where, you know, we need daycare. And uh, right. <laughs> that's where we come in, you know. So, and yet we have great corporate clients you know so I mean it, as long as you have the personal relationship I don't there's not a big difference I, I would pick the, the national brand for, for me just because there aren't many general contractors that can build yeah. nationwide so it's yeah. pretty exciting when we begin speaking with you know it's funny about. we have brands that I don't think of as a national like our relationship with Del Frisco's is with Bill Martens you know he's the vice president of development and Bill is our guy so I, mm-hmm. even though they have all these locations and we've right. built so many of them that I still I don't think of them as this sort of corporate brand. I think of our relationship with Bill. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate or dessert. I, I, I like people to be... The, the, the pastry chef works hard back then. I'm usually so <laughs> hungry hard. by the time we get there that, that the cheese plate's like on the way in the door. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn. And I threw in there, or Miami, because I know you travel down to Miami a bit. I do. My, Miami is very happening. I, uh, I I pick Manhattan. I think it's the uh, Brooklyn's great, but Manhattan is where, is where yeah, my heart is. For what we do. I or mean, Boston, I should have. Or Boston yeah, in this mix, too. Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question, because we have five projects in hospitality right now in Brooklyn. You know, but we have, you know, at least two and others in retail in Miami. But, I don't know, Miami's, I mean, Manhattan's Manhattan. It's like, you know, the thing that's exciting about building projects in Manhattan is things that you might not do in other markets because the market might not support it, a la design, over the top, just Mm -hmm. incredible. You know, those chances are much higher in Manhattan, which is really exciting to be part of. You know, we do some things there that other markets might be able to sustain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good explanation. Yeah. What what projects is there, are you working on in Miami? That's my hometown, so I'm curious. Well, we just finished the Smith and Malensky. We just redid on the waterfront there. Um, we have okay. uh, we're we have three projects that are all you know in negotiations. Uh, you know, a big part of our um, business is not talking about projects before they happen. So uh, then, but, but, yeah. yeah, then don't talk about it. But I'm remembering 
I took a drive. I was down in February, and I I went over to uh, the design district and right. was driving around with my parents, and we passed by a, 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 an empty lot, and it had your logo on it. Yeah. And I, I think I even took a picture of it. And I was like, oh, look who that is. My parents were like, yeah, what? Perfect. I'm like, they're coming to my show. We opened our office <laughs> down there, I think about three years ago, a lot of it mm-hmm. as a reaction to the design district because our retail yeah. group really had a lot of work ramped up for that pro- you know, for that whole redo of that area. And uh, that has now spurred, you know, all our offices come as an outshoot of sort of one project leading to another and us deciding we need to have a steady presence there. The hospitality group in Miami, we're sort of on that tipping point that I think six months from now, if we come back and are lucky enough to be on your show, we'll be talking about a handful of really exciting chef-driven concept restaurants we will have just finished in Miami. Miami is being rebuilt right now. It's so exciting. Design District uh, is going to be incredible. Brickle. Brickle, Brickle is, is amazing mm-hmm. uh, right now. Um, the beach is 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 always evolving, and, and right now is no exception. But Design District is very exciting. I, th- I think our retail group has done seven projects there already, yeah. and it's not even... It's All not right, even, well, yeah, we'll stay tuned. Please do. Okay, so article I, I picked out for industry news was... In the New York Times today in Florence Fabricants off the menu column, and it was about... Refettorio, and this is Massimo Bottura, who Osteria Francescana. This is a project um, that he's been involved in, and it's part of his nonprofit, Food for Soul, which he opened the Refettorio dining halls. He started opening them in Italy, and um, it's just a. It's I don't know. I'm a huge fan of his, and this is this is uh, this. They're community centers, more than soup kitchens that he's doing, and the program aims to promote awareness and hunger and food waste. And I was talking about how he's doing one starting coming up in London and looking for more cities to open these refectorios. And I just, I mean, he's he was on the world's best list as number one, and now is number two, and he's just always, he's number one in my book as a person. I mean, he's amazing. So um, I just thought it would be good to bring this up. I don't like the word trend, but th- th- but this is this is starting to become a trend where chefs are are giving back in a, in a real way, not not just you know writing a check or doing a fundraiser. But I mean, this is this is a real grassroots way to to do something. To, I mean, they're so creative. Chefs are so creative. So they're all. I mean, the 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 difference between a chef and an entrepreneur is well, nothing. So <laughs> I mean, what a what a what a great way um, for them to express themselves creatively for philanthropy. And that's, that's I think it's is. been one of the greatest trends that's happened since I started building restaurants. Is that chefs? You know, Barbara Lynch is one of the best spokespeople for this. So she's like, she's coming she, to my show in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so too. Barbara's great. Yeah. She's. Um, but she's like, she kind of laughs at the celebrity chef piece. She's like, it's a blue-collar job. Look at my hands. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. burnt to a crisp, and they have a thousand cuts on it. She's like, you know, this doesn't look like a celebrity set of hands. But what's happened with the TV shows and everything else has kind of given chefs this platform that a blue-collar job might not have. And I think that's spectacular because so many of these people come from working-class backgrounds, and they have an appreciation for giving back. And yet they have this incredible thing to give back, which is the ability to feed people, which is so primary to everyone's existence. So that has been a great trend to see change over mm-hmm. the last, like, 25 years that I've been working. 25 years ago, you know, no one was looking at chefs like that. They were talking about places to go out to eat. And now the celebrity piece has given them a platform to give back yeah. in a real like this is amazing what what he's doing. It's you know? a, yeah, it is, and I have to give a shout out to his wife Laura T. Gilmore, who's who's as this article says the practical side of running the business. I mean, <laughs> and um, she yeah she's she's she works with him, and I it's, I think um, I think it's amazing. Their website's foodforsoul it. People should go check it out. Um, they're looking at other cities to bring it to so. Um, before we take a break, I just want to give some other shout-outs. Uh, Charleston City Paper, Kinsey Giddick, wrote about my episode 136, where I had on Randy Weinstein, um, when we were talking about the fab workshops happening in Charleston. So I just wanted to say thank you. And I also want to give a shout-out to Terry Baum's 
Jubilee Conference, which was this past weekend at the Highline Hotel in Chelsea. This is Cherry Bomb Magazine and Cherry Bomb Radio here on Heritage Radio Network. Um, They put on this amazing conference, which focuses on food and the hospitality industry. And this was its fourth year, and I've gone all four years, and just really well done. On Sunday, they added a marketplace, which I I didn't get to go to, but I heard was great. And um, I just wanted to say congratulations to Carrie Diamond and Claudia Wu, who are the founders of it and uh yeah great job so now we're gonna take a little break i'm gonna come back and do my solo dining experience uh so stay with us this is on the industry on heritage radio network Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Atla. Here's the rundown. The location, 372 Lafayette Street, NoHo, NYC. The concept, all-day casual eatery for contemporary Mexican bites with local ingredients. The chef and owner, Enrique Olvera. The head chef, Daniela Soto-Inez. And the chef, Hugo Vera. So why did I go? because it's a highly anticipated restaurant opening, and of course I like Mexicana fare. My experience. I popped in for a late breakfast last Friday. I was warmly greeted, asked if I preferred to sit at the bar or a table. I opted for a table along the back banquette. Once seated, I browsed the menu, which came with a pencil, so I could check off items that I wanted. And so I did. I chatted a bit with my server and had a relaxing meal. What did I get? Coffee Americana with milk on the side and an arctic char tostada. My take, coffee was good and strong, came in this cool cup with milk and a round round shot glass on the side, but I made a mess with the shot glass trying to pour the milk into the cup. I mean, it was a very cool glass, but but not that practical. Just uh, cleaned it up, though. But it was good coffee. Then I also had arctic char, which was super fresh and delicious. It was served with farmer's cheese and capers on a crispy tortilla. Its preparation could be described sort of like an open-faced Mexicana bagel with blocks, but much lighter and crunchier. The ambiance. It's modern and chic with gray tones. It has this sleek bar in the center. It's a rectangular space and has these huge windows that bring in lots of natural light. It's perfect for small bites of tasty and original Mexicana dishes. Interesting tidbit. Enrique's first NYC restaurant, Cosme, which has been a huge hit since it opened in the Flatiron area in 2014, was recently ranked number 40 on the world's best 50 best restaurants list, and his Mexico City restaurant, Pujol, is ranked number 20 on that list. Personal fun fact. So I represent a restaurant that's located right next door to Atla, which is also in the new Morris Ajmi-designed building. It's called Honey Brains, and it is a cafe that focuses on good food and more for your brain. The cost of my Atla meal was $20, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I'd like to try more dishes, and perhaps I'll check out dinner. Their website is atlanyc.com. You guys familiar with with Atla? Did you? Is it your client? No, no, not yet. (laughs) Okay, not yet. Like that. Um, Yeah, it was. It was great. No, that sounds great. It was great, except for it spilt milk. But hey, don't don't cry over. (laughs) Don't cry over spilt milk. (laughs) So um, it's time for the final question. So next week, my guest is Keith Krieger. He's a porcelain wares designer for restaurants and chefs. He is based in Austin, Texas, but he's going to be here. Live in the studio with me. So, Larry and John, what would you like to ask Keith? I I have a question. I'm interested to know um, if he builds something custom for a particular restaurant, for a particular chef, or or even a particular dish. Like what, how that dialogue starts, or and how that how that creative process moves forward. Yeah, great. I will ask. I have a feeling the answer is yes. 
Well, yeah. but but how yeah. does it happen? How how yeah. does it happen? Yeah, okay. It's kind of a chicken or the egg. Yeah, is it his yours. idea? Does he come in and say this, or mm-hmm. you know, how often does the person already come? Because I've you know worked with chefs before where when they were going through that process. They kind of have, you know, stolen a dish or a bowl from every place they loved, and they have it in this box, and they're like, this is what I want, you know? Right. Um, which is kind of a cool process, but I'm curious, you know, do they come with that typically? Are they coming with a vision, or are they coming to him and saying, help us create something? I mean, you know, we looked at his stuff, and it's amazing, so... Just curious about that creative process. Okay, right, I, I will. I will find out. It's a great yeah. question. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've I've met him briefly. His stuff is 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 great. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. It's funny. The industry is so full of these unique niches like that. You mm-hmm. know, when you think of the hospitality industry, that might not come as the first thing to your mind. But then when you go out to dinner, that can be a, a, an incredible part of the experience. So that's what I find fascinating. Is all these little niche businesses that are created because of it. Yeah, and I, cool. I, I think, I mean, as a, I don't know if you'd call it a trend, but I feel maybe, in a while now, over five, ten years ago, that you started noticing plates more in mm-hmm. restaurants and that they were cool and not just a standard white plate. Eleven Madison Park it jumps mm-hmm. out in my mind there. Well, I had I had John Opandolfi on my show that who did who does their plates. That's mm-hmm. the only time I've done a show with that theme, and so yeah, um, yeah, it does stand out. We went out. Uh, I have three daughters. One of them and my wife and I went out the other night, and they had eclectic plates, and they were old. And it was amazing because one of them came, and it was that old red and white. I don't know what the style's called. But, of course, my daughter said, oh, that's such a cool dish. My wife and I, my mother's passed away. And both my wife and I at the same time said it reminds us of Granny. And it was such a, mm-hmm. my mother, you know, it was such a, uh, it was a nice moment at dinner, I guess yeah. is what I say. So it's neat when these sort of small parts of the business, it, you know, touches your heart in a unique way, which is nice. Yes, yeah. and that's a nice way to end the show. It was a good, good story. So thank you both for coming on here. Um, I'm so impressed with everything you've done. Uh, your, your company has been so successful. I look forward to seeing what your next projects are, and uh, maybe we'll have you back. Maybe? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I haven't had repeats yet, but I don't know. Oh, uh, We're just, well, I'm joking. We're, we're very fortunate. Thank you so much come. for having yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So my guests today have been Larry Capagna, Director of Business Development, and John Tobin, Director of Hospitality at Shamit Design and Construction, a national construction management company. You can find their website at shamit.com, and that's S-H-A-W-M-U-T.com, and they're also on social media at shamit underscore builds. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen back anytime. You just go on there. It's now a podcast. Thanks always to my engineer, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.